And now, a warrior for the Word of God and the Constitution of the United States, a Marine Corps veteran, a Harvard-trained attorney, Bishop of the Called Churches, and founder and president of STAND. Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening, your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. And I am he. Great to be with you again today, folks. I'm back in Virginia now, back from Hotlanta, and glad to be with you and on the airplane, watching the news on the airplane. Because, you know, you can, you can, they've got the, the monitors now where they've got live programming on on the airplanes, and I turned on the news, and lo and behold, the decision came down in Students for Fair Admissions, Inc. versus President and Fellows of Harvard College, and the Supreme Court struck down Harvard's affirmative action program, and I am here to tell you, thank God, it is a great day for the United States of America and a great day for the people of this country. I don't care what the demagogue-in-chief Joe Biden says or former demagogue-in-chief Barack Obama says or former first lady demagogue-in-chief Michelle Obama says or any of these other confirmed communists. This was a great day for this country because the fact of the matter is the United States of America is supposed to be a meritocracy and we can never be a meritocracy as long as we try to govern every action of today and every decision of today and every evaluation of people for competence and capability today based on what happened 150 years ago or 100 years ago or 60 years ago. We, we should be evaluating people on the basis of their abilities now. Not, oh, well... You check, you check this oppression box, and so we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I mean, folks, this is morally wrong. It's constitutionally insupportable. It's completely wrong constitutionally. Uh, and there's a lot to be said about this, but, but every American who understands the nature of our country should be celebrating. Because this is, this is a tremendous blessing to every single American. So let me, let me back up then and, and unpack this. You know, because Joe Biden just came out and, and announced this. You know, we should be considering adversity. We should be looking at that. Well, folks, let me just tell you something. That's been going on for a long time, long before affirmative action was implemented. Because when you, when you have these top schools competing, being competed uh, to, for, for entry positions by top students, it is always difficult to try to make a distinction. I mean, so for example, you've got, and in some cases, you you literally could have 25 A students, literally 25 people who have who have uh, scored very very high on their LSATs. How do you distinguish them? Schools have been considering issues of of what this person has overcome. They've been asking for essays for a long time. So the kid from Appalachia with a mother who uh, was um, on methamphetamines, who ends up being one of those straight-A students, is given credit for the fact that, that that person has character that maybe these other people may not have because they haven't had to overcome that kind of 
of adversity. This is nothing new. That's been going on forever. That's not what Harvard was doing. I mean, not that they don't take the, haven't taken those things into consideration. What they were doing was checking the box. If you are of a certain racial group, you automatically get preferential treatment. That's what they were doing. That's very different. That's admitting people on the basis of race. Not on the totality of their, their abilities, their character, their circumstances. But on the basis of race, solely on the basis of race. And see, and here's why this, I mean, there are so many reasons why this is so wrong. But first of all, it's wrong constitutionally because it violates the Equal Protection Clause. Because they're getting federal funds. They therefore are using taxpayer dollars, therefore sanctioned by the United States government. They should never be violating the Fourth Amendment, 14th Amendment, which is exactly what they're doing. Because the 14th Amendment, requ- Amendment requires uh, equal protection under the law. And what they're doing is not doing that. They're, they are giving certain people preferential treatment under the law. Now, completely private institution might have a somewhat different argument, although still we know that the civil rights laws now have really really applied to every institution, so you can't get around that, that by simply being a private institution. But, the, but, but once there is a government nexus, which meaning once you take federal funds in order to carry out the mission of your organization, there is a state nexus there. Now you are in some ways representing the government of the United States of America. Now you doubly can't do it. But here is what they've also been doing. So you get preferential treatment if you're a member of what they would consider an oppressed class, black. Uh, and by the way, let's throw in homosexual now. They've you know, added all the, the, the alphabet people. But if you are Asian, because Asians have excelled so well on the LSATs and academic performance, They have outperformed all other demographic groups. European, Americans of European background, Americans of African background, Americans of Indian background. They, and and of course the Americans of Indian background do pretty well too. Uh, Some people would consider them to be Asian. They said, well, you know what? We're not going to, we're, we're going to consider their racial status a negative we are not going to allow them to have but so many sp- sp- uh, spots in the university. See, and, and folks, consider what this does to our country when you take that approach. You exclude the very best talent, but in addition to that, you also tell everyone else you don't have to compete. We will consider you on the basis of your racial status. You don't have to outperform these other people. You don't have to compete with them. We will exclude them willy-nilly in order to make sure that we have room for you who've do, who, who is doing less well. This is one of my major problems with affirmative action 
because what it does is it disincentivizes excellence. Oh, well, but the tests are culturally biased. Well, then why do Asians do so well? Most of these Asian students who've done well, many of them have come to this country with English as their second language. Many of them are escapees from communist countries, North Korea, uh, Vietnam, other places, or escapees from, from religious or, or political persecution. And they come to this country having to learn English. And, and by the way, you want to talk about a cultural difference. As people say, well, you know, black people don't do well on standardized tests because, you know, it's, well, we, we, don't, we don't understand the culture. I'm saying, Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean? It's American culture. You're an American? Well, what, what's, what's the problem? Well, you don't have to read. You don't have to experience other things. You don't have to try to educate yourself. All you have to do is just check the racial box and we'll try to make sure you're in. So in other words, we're going to enshrine mediocrity as the standard to which you must aspire. Back in a moment. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. You know, as Pride Month is about to end, it's worth considering who really has power in America. Earlier this month, Carl Truman wrote about the LGBTQ establishment, saying that Pride Month shows who really has power in America. The last four weeks validate his prediction made on June 1st. He is known for his best-selling book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and The Road to Sexual Revolution. He's been on my radio program to not only talk about that book, but his latest book, which is a shorter version of the first book. He documents the history of the sexual revolution and the philosophy behind it. That, of course, includes the rise of homosexuality and sexual politics. He reminds us that even accounting firms, surely the most boring of institutions, and I write as a son of an accountant, feel the need to post rainbows and windows, affirm support for LGBTQ politics on their web pages. He correctly argues that Pride Month is about the ownership of space and time and power. It is an opportunity to erase from public view those who refuse to acknowledge that power. He says Pride Month puts the lie to the notion that the LGBTQ itself somehow represents the marginalized. Not at all. It's the establishment. After all, the truly marginalized don't have a month celebrating their existence, nor do they have their own flag everyone is supposed to be flying. Yes, there's been some pushback, but the fact that corporations and even baseball teams are willing to double down on promoting the LGBTQ agenda illustrates who owns the public space. Let's stop the false claim of marginalization. Marginalized people don't have their own month and their own flag. That's the real lesson of Pride Month. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free booklet on a biblical view on big data, go to viewpoints.info slash data. That's viewpoints.info slash data. The following is not an actor, but a real life story from Trinity Debt Management. I'm Corey, and this is my story. I was going through some financial troubles paying off my credit cards. I was paying high interest rates, and it just wasn't getting any better. And I knew I had to do something. So my mom told me about Trinity, and so I decided to call. Trinity was able to do something that I couldn't. I'm paying off my debt. I'm saving thousands, and things are really looking up. 
I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you call Trinity because it was such a relief and less stress in my life and it was the best thing I could have done for myself because once I called Trinity, they took care of me and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders and they are a Christian-based company. I love it. <laughs> if you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I'm Corey and I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-788-1813. The Awakening. The Awakening. Download and listen at your leisure with the podcast page at AFR.net. Now, back to our host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. We're back. A major historic decision has been handed down by the Supreme Court. Now, the demagogue in chief has gotten up and said, you know, this is the, this is the terrible decision that it ends. Uh, uh, you know, as if, as if this now slams the door on every person of darker complexion getting in, having any opportunities in America whatsoever. We're going backwards now. I mean, what? You know, these people, he, he, you know, the left really does have a messianic complex. And they really believe that whatever God they think they serve, I guess the devil, sent them here to save others. Uh, and, and they're going to do it with Marxist thought. Like I said, Marxist is the guy who believed in the kingdom of God without God. They're going to they're going to they're going to construct a utopia. No matter what, no matter how many people have to be hurt in the process, they're going to get us to where we we absolutely need to be, where we'll be absolutely perfect. And by the way, I've heard I haven't had a chance to read the opinion because. I couldn't get it on the airplane, and uh, so I haven't read it, but I've heard the excerpts of it being read. And Sotomayor suggesting that somehow uh, this fails, oh, that here's, here's the, the key language, that it fails to understand the degree to which the American people want equality. Uh, well, I beg to differ. Not the kind of equality she's talking about. The American people want equality of opportunity. We understand, however, that we live in the real world. I mean, so for example, I've, and I've used this, I, we'll, we'll take a personal example, then I'll broaden it. My children had a very different set of opportunities at their disposal than I have than I had when I was growing up. Uh, my, my, I, as I said, I never lived in a home. I lived in, in, a, in an apartment building or rented building in my foster home. They, they did have a little shotgun house, uh, but you know, they didn't own that. And when I lived with my dad after foster care, we, we lived strictly in apartments. Uh, my 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 son he he was young enough to remember us living in apartments, but my uh, my youngest children I mean my oldest children I should say my youngest children let me get it straight my my two daughters they don't remember ever living in an apartment they grew up in a home with a backyard and and you know in a safe neighborhood and they didn't live in the ghetto. They don't know anything about that. Well, my son didn't either because I made, I committed, I never put my family in a position of living in a place that was dangerous and just full of 
you know, all kinds of problems. Um, my children had educated parents. My wife has three degrees. I've got two. My father had a sixth grade education. So I've said, so for people to treat my children as if they're somehow disadvantaged and they lack for nothing, that they were somehow disadvantaged is an insult to me. It is an insult. Oh, they're black. Oh, you're poor children. No, my children, they're just fine. Thank you very much. They don't need to be saved by Joe Biden. And by the way, I didn't either. Because of the problems that I had, I did certainly face disadvantages, but they weren't because of race. Because of two people who couldn't hold their marriage together and, and uh, just ended up creating chaos for, in me and for my life. You know, so I didn't have a stable home. I didn't have a mother and father. I mean, all, all those kinds. But they, those issues had nothing to do with racism. And it's, by the way, and as soon as my father got a hold of me and gave me some discipline and direction and, and guidance and vision, my life completely changed. And by the way, so the fact that I was failing in fifth grade and then being an A student in sixth grade obviously had nothing to do with race. So, so this whole game of pretending that Oh, black people are so disadvantaged. And this is the argument. By virtue of being black, you are disadvantaged because America is systemically and inherently and uh, 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 I, there's another word it'll come to me. But it, it, is, it is fundamentally racist. That's really the point they're making. And, and they would say, and E.W. Jackson, you may not know it, but you were a victim of racism. The problems that you had were, the, were they were caused by racism. We'll explain how. Well, you don't have to explain it. It's, systemat- it's, it's systemic, you see. It's systemic. It's just in the air. It's magical racism that just appears out of nowhere. And then when you try to identify it, it disappears. But it's definitely there. And it's definitely real. And it's definitely holding you back, even if you don't know it. See, that's, that's what they're selling. Because, folks, this goes back to the issue. And therefore, they would say, E.W. Jackson, you and your children, although you think you've lived so well in America and you think you've had such a wonderful life, you all are really victims and you just don't know it and you need us to save you. And we are only too happy to be your Messiah. No, thank you. Already have one. And he's sweet, I know. <laughs> I've found a savior. <laughs> And he's sweet, I know. Don't need Joe Biden. Don't need Barack Obama. Don't need Michelle Obama. Don't need Jesse Jackson. Don't need Al Sharpton. Don't need Black Lives Matter. Thank you very much. I've got a savior. And he opens doors and no one can close them. Let me stop before I preach on this program today. Folks, that's why... 
We've got to come back to faith in God. See, all this stuff also, you know what this does, is it tries to make government God. Government is going to solve all of your problems. Government is going to make everyone equal. Government is going to do everything that everybody needs. You know, I was going to say, so, so, so there's an example of my children. I was going to say, look, we don't live in a perfect world. There is no question that the child of, of the guy who is a, a, a skilled laborer doesn't have the same advantages as the, as the child of Bill Gates. I mean, just by definition. I mean, Bill Gates is a billionaire. He can basically pretty much buy his way into anything. But, but, equality of opportunity says, if Bill Gates' kid can't put two and two together, and that, then the kid of that skilled laborer can, that's the kid that ought to get the job. That's the kid that ought to get the opportunity. Now, I know it doesn't always work that way, but that's what we should be working toward. Not shouldn't, shouldn't be, well, the son of the billionaire, because he's a billionaire and because he's got the money, it should be the person of competence and capability and character. That's the person that should get the, that's what equality of opportunity means. I mean, you can't go out, you're the son of a, that skilled laborer. You can't go out and say, hey, dad, you know, I'd like to have a yacht. Oh, okay, son, how much do those run? Uh, I'm looking at one for about $3 million. Okay, well, go ahead and order it. You know, I'll, we'll take care of it. Now, I'm not saying that any billionaire would do that, but they could if they wanted to. So, so there's no such thing as absolute equality. There's not even really any such thing as equality of opportunity, but that's what we strive for, and that should be the basis upon which we set standards for people in promotions and opportunities and admissions and so forth. The, the word I was looking for is intrinsically. They would say America is intrinsically racist. That's a lie. That's a lie out of the pit of hell. This is the greatest place of opportunity the world has ever seen. And I thank God that my granddaughter was born here, not somewhere else. And thank God for this decision because here again, and, and to me, see, here's what, political leaders need to be saying to the black community, to all these so-called oppressed groups that the left sort of conjures up. You're oppressed. You're oppressed. You're oppressed. You're oppressed. Oh, I'm, we're all oppressed. You're oppressed. Oh, yeah. But we're going to save you. What, what families should be saying to their children is what my father used to say to me. Son, nobody owes you anything and nobody's interested in your excuses. You have to make a life for yourself, and it's up to you what you do with it. Period. Oh, but Dad, what about racism? Yeah, what about it? What's that got to do with you? In fact, my father used to say this to me. He said, son, when people find out that you want to do something good with your life, help will come from unexpected places. 
He had a fundamental belief in the the, 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 the basic decency and, and goodwill of the American people, even though he grew up in a much racial, different racial climate than I did. But he had seen enough to know that there are lots of decent people out there who don't care what the color of your skin is. They, they want to be a blessing to you if they can, based upon your character, virtues, values, abilities, not based upon your skin color. That's what America truly is. Back in a moment to take your calls. It's my turn. Here is your host for My Turn, Don Wildman. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered to him. The wilderness spoken of in the temptation experience of Jesus is unlike the conception most Americans have of a wilderness. When the word wilderness is spoken, we usually associate it with a region of tremendous undergrowth and trees. The wilderness which Jesus faced was one of rolling hills nearly barren of any growth. Tradition places the area where Jesus spent his 40 days in the wilderness as being between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. It's an almost treeless area of scant vegetation except during the rainy season when grass grows. The area is some 15 miles wide and 35 miles long. A visitor to the Holy Land today can see, to the north of Jericho, the traditional Mount of Temptation. Supposedly, this is the mountain spoken of in the wilderness experience. The temptation of Jesus followed immediately on the heels of his baptism. We are told that he was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. Christ had made a public confession of his faith in God. Now that faith was to be tested. Christ needed to know before he set out on the journey if he had the requirements to finish the journey. He was to later remind his followers, no man sets out to build a building unless he first counts the cost to see if he will be able to finish it. It was lonely in the wilderness, Jesus went in alone. He knew that the time would come when he would have to make important decisions alone. He had to prepare himself for that time. We're told that for 40 days he fought the struggle with his tempter. He had no other to help him in his struggle there in that wilderness except for the presence of God. During these days, Jesus went without food. It was while he was extremely hungry that he was tempted to use his power to turn stones into bread. But Christ refused. It was the beginning of a pattern to be used throughout the whole of his public ministry. He would never use his power in a selfish manner. This pattern reached its pinnacle at the cross when he refused to excuse himself from the suffering and dying. It was in the wilderness that Jesus fought his greatest battle, it was here that he first set his face toward Jerusalem. It was here, alone and hungry, that Jesus conquered his supreme test. He did not break. He did not bend. He had been called to a high and holy task. He met and defeated 
his tempter. Now he was prepared to go back into the world. There is a wilderness experience for each of us. There is a time when, faced with which road of life to follow, we fight the struggle within the depths of our very own heart. Other battles will follow, but the major battle of our life is out in the wilderness when we are alone and hungry. The temptations we face, like those of Christ, are always extremely attractive. The wilderness is a very ugly and desolate place, and the temptations are extremely tempting. Few went out over the temptations of the wilderness, but those who do can walk toward Jerusalem and a waiting cross. For their life belongs to God, and it is His power which sustains them. This has been My Turn with Don Wildman, a production of the American Family Association. The Awakening. The Awakening. Download and listen at your leisure with the podcast page at AFR.net. Now, back to our host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. We're back, and the number is 888-589-8840 for my live stream viewers. My apologies. I got in late and forgot myself, but I, I am on live stream now. For those of you who like to watch me live stream, I am live streaming now. I, I, there are a couple of buttons I, got to, I, I have to hit. And I just got beside myself, so thrilled about being in my studio that I didn't hit any buttons. <laughs> so, but, but they're hit now. 888-589-8840 is the number. I want to remind everybody, by the way, since we're talking about this whole issue of affirmative action, I've got a chapter on affirmative action in my book where I really lay out uh, the cogent case for why we need to do away with it. And by the way, it's, it won't be done away with because colleges and universities are going to figure out a way around it. And this is part of the problem, too. They don't respect the Constitution. They just don't respect it. They see it as an obstacle in the way of their utopian dreams. They don't realize it's the most successful governing document in the history of mankind, and we would all do well to adhere to it rather than trying to figure out a way to denigrate it and get around it. Uh, but at any rate, my book gets into all of that. Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. Check it out. You can get it wherever books are sold. And if you want to support me as a Patriot partner, well, first of all, if you want to get a discount on it, just buy it. You can go to our publisher's website, Fidelis Publishing, at FaithfulText.com. That's FaithfulText.com. You can also uh, get it uh, as a free gift from me if you sign up as a Patriot partner with 25 bucks more or more a month at StandAmerica.us. That's StandAmerica.us. also want to remind everybody, by the way, Speaking of all this, uh, I'm heading up a Second Chronicles 714 patriotic rally on July 14th, 714. That's why that date was chosen. That's a Friday evening at the downtown Marriott Hotel in Richmond, Virginia. Hope you'll come because we are going to have a time and it's going to be an historic moment. Uh, just email me at ewjackson at ewjackson.com to RSVP because we are providing food. So we do want to know uh, how many we have coming. ewjackson at ewjackson.com. Come from wherever you are. This is not going to be a local event. It is a national event. And I'd love to see you there. That's July 14th, 6 p.m. for the reception and fellowship, 7 p.m. for the program. A Second Chronicles 714 patriotic rally 
to secure America's future. That's what we're going to seek to do. Galvanize the Christian community to secure America's future. 888-589-8840 is the number. All right, let's go to Curtis in Virginia. Curtis, welcome. Thanks for taking my call, Bishop. Appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Hello? Yes, thanks yeah. for calling. Uh, okay, look, uh, I, I feel sorry for black people who made it through Yale and Princeton on their own dime. In other words, they had no special treatment. Yeah. They had, they, they've had, they did their proper testing and some preparation. They had the proper grades. They had proper uh, test scores, and they made it without any help from anyone. Now, when they go out there to get a job, the first time the employer sees them, he's going to think this guy made it under affirmative action. He is second class or second tier to with uh, Harvard or Princeton guy out of there. Yeah. And this is unfair to people who come in there on their own dime, come in there on their own skills, on their own abilities. They had nobody to help them. That's, that's, that's the point I was trying to make here, sir. Curtis, you make, you make a powerful point. And so let me just add to it. Thank you for the call, Curtis. Let me just add to this point. Folks, the black community has as much talent, ability, intelligence, creativity as any other group on the face of the earth. But you never know it by the way leftists treat them because they treat them like they simply can't measure up. For one reason or another, they simply can't measure up. And this stuff, in my view, is, it's now preached all over the world. And it really is, what it does is it, Curtis, it, dem- it denigrates black capability and talent. You know, I remember the football player, I don't have his name in front of me, but he's a brilliant mathematician, a genius mathematician. I listened to him give a lecture on math, and I thought, man, he lost me in the first sentence. <laughs> you know? And he was also a football player and, of course, very concerned about concussions and whatnot. He said, because I really do want to protect my brain. This guy was doing, this guy was doing genius-level math. Black guy. But what, what are we told? Well, you know, black people don't do well on math. Black people don't do well on science. Black people, I mean, you know, I was told the same thing when I got ready to go to law school. Black people don't do well on standardized tests. I mean, you're denigrating as opposed to, hey, rise up. Go for the, the, the brass ring. Reach for the highest level you can go to. Well, to study harder then. I mean, instead of making excuses for people. I mean, it's just, I find it just thoroughly disgusting. And and, and as far as I'm concerned, blatantly racist. Okay, let's go to Kevin in Arkansas. Kevin, welcome. Greetings and blessings to everyone. Uh, Thank you, Kevin. A few months ago, you were talking about uh, somebody was asking if you had any references for uh, uh, young men to become men. Uh, The epoch or epoch times... uh, printed an article, a reprint of an article that was uh, published back in the, like the late 1800s, and it was, uh, I don't know if it was a book or an essay, but uh, it was telling young men how to be a gentleman, 
and I didn't get to read it or see anything about it, so wow. I don't know exactly what all it said, but uh, just I just saw the title and got like uh, scanned uh, the first paragraph and saw a few things in there that looked good. So that's something you might want to look into. Uh, go back or contact the Epic Times and see if uh, they can tell you what that article was. I and on will. The schools, why don't the schools just uh, draft people instead of having them apply like the sports teams do? <laughs> I don't know how all that works. There's a thought. Yeah, all there's. Right, there, all right, Kevin. Thank you so much for the call. By the way, folks, I think of two things, and. Uh, uh, my fam- my AFR family have to help me with this, but I know that AFR has a program for young men. Uh, I think it's primarily based um, in and around Tupelo, but it's the kind of thing that could be replicated. Uh, I can also tell you that um, Andrew Wall McMinistries at Karis College, they, they actually teach on these kinds of issues, being a gentleman, being a lady, in other words, that just the, the kind of manners and conduct that we seem to have forgotten in our country today. Uh, just how to be gracious, how to be decent, how to, to get your mind off yourself and think about others and, and, and try to, to show some, some level of, of, uh, of, uh, of, of just graciousness and, and, and treatment of uh, good treatment of people. I mean, that stuff is just, it's lost on you today. You know, just, just an example of this. If I meet you, say I've run into you, and I have, I've run into somebody, somebody in the airport who recognized me and that kind of thing, and you say, well, you know, Bishop Jackson, I, how are you doing? I said, well, I'm doing great. How are you? Now, why do I do that? I do that because I want to show that I'm interested in you just like you're interested in me. You know what kids do? Fine. I'm good. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no, well, fine, sir. How are you? Or fine, ma'am. How are you? Or fine, Bishop Jackson. How are you? Or fine, Mr. Bob or, or Mr. Johnson. How are you? No, it's just, I'm good. And I just sometimes I shake my head. Yeah, folks, we got, we, we've got a lot of work to do, but we're going to get it done back in a moment. AFA is no longer dependent on Facebook or YouTube to live stream our original programming. As of now, American Family Radio shows like Today's Issues, The Court, Airing the Addisons, and The Hamilton Corner are streaming live on the AFA streaming app. Independent live streaming is the next step as we come out from among them and separate ourselves unto the Lord. Search AFA streaming or visit streaming.afa.net to sign up. Hi, this is Miki Addison. Join me, my husband Will, and our kids for AFA at the Ark. We'll also be joined by Wesley and Walker Wildman and their families as we host a mini conference at the Ark Encounter, October 26th and 27th. AFA has reserved a block of rooms at the Marriott Cincinnati Airport Hotel, which will be available at a discounted price. Space is limited. Learn more and register at marriagefamilylife.net. And I hope to see you at the Ark. 
This is Abraham Hamilton III with AFR, and we're sending Bibles to Asia. Here's Michael with Bible League International. Abraham, there is an incredible move of God right now in the region of Asia. This is where Christianity is growing fastest in the world, but at Bible League, now in our 85th year of ministry, we easily estimate that as many as 9 of 10 new believers in countries like China, Vietnam, and Malaysia have no access to the Bible. They live out their Christian faith in the day-to-day without being able to open God's precious Word and be reminded of His promises. But listeners, you've been incredibly kind these brothers and sisters. Our goal is to bless 16,000 Bibleist believers. You've done that for 13,000. We're more than 80% there. We've been given just a little extra time to meet this goal. Would you pray about it today and would you get involved and send Bibles to Asia? $5 sends a Bible. That's only $5 for a Bible. $100 sends 20. $500 sends 100. You can give by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. Or visit sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. She walks in. Oh, it's so good to see you. Oh my goodness. I thought about you all weekend. What'd you do? What'd you do? What'd you do? Where'd you go? What'd you do? And I'm like, they're alive. (laughs) Comedian Ken Kington on Focus on the Family Minute sharing about a time he watched his kids for a weekend. But what'd you do all weekend? I'm like, stuff. I didn't know there was going to be a test. I would have taken notes. She goes, well, what'd you eat? Just tell me you didn't have pizza and hot dogs all weekend. Just tell me you didn't have pizza and hot dogs. I mean, where'd you go? What'd you eat? What'd you eat? You just told me not to tell you. (laughs) It's one of those things that she goes, well, at least they left fruit. Tell me they had some fruit. They have fruit? Did they have fruit? Loops. (laughs) More laughs from Ken Kington today at FamilyMinute.org. Back to The Awakening with Bishop E.W. Jackson on American Family Radio. We're back. The number is 888-589-8840. We've been talking primarily about the Supreme Court decision that's just come down. And as I said, it's got a number of aspects to it. But our country needs all the talent and ability of all of our people pulling together and all affirmative action ever did was to tear us apart. And, and I, I, I really hope that the day comes, my producer just suggested, I hope that the day comes when we don't even think about such things. We only think about the individual and his or her capability and what they bring to the table. That's it. That's all. Uh, we're a long way from that yet, but I really believe by the grace of God, that we are going to get there because that's, that's the hope of our country. That's the, that's the hope for our future. Not this, this racial tribalizing of our country uh, and all this identity politics stuff, but one nation under God because that's the only hope we have of being indivisible and having liberty and justice for all. 888-589-8840. Let's come back to your calls Let's see, you've been waiting very patiently. Bill in Mississippi. Bill, welcome. Hello, sir. How are you? Great, Bill. How are you? I'm well. Thank you very much. Good. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. I just wanted to uh, chime in. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to offer a little dissent. I believe that, that the, affirmative, the affirmative action case simply, simply uh, is incorrect. Uh, I think that uh, affirmative action, you are a legal scholar, you know more than I do on that, but I think that the, the, the case simply 
was in affirmative action is that all things being equal, all applicants being qualified, they only use race as one of the factors. And I think that in America, even the 14th Amendment was, was, was instituted because we know that slavery ended, but racism did not end. That's, where, that's why there was a need for the 14th Amendment. And so as a believer, I still believe that uh, you stated that one day America will be, well, I, 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 in this present time, in this present evil world, we know that men's hearts are still evil, and so therefore, it's not going to happen in this particular dispensation. It's only in the future okay. reign of Christ that that will Bill, happen. Bill, I look, I, I've got your point. So let me ask you a question, because he, here's the issue. Um, so, if a person, say for example, um, I think his name is Robert Smith. He's a billionaire. He's a black billionaire. Gave forty million dollars to students at Morehouse. If one of his children applies to school. Um, you think that race should be considered in that in that child's application? Well, again, race affirmative action. If you, you if you understand affirmative action no, when it no, comes to education, well, no, 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 I'm talking about the no, no, no. Wait, 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 no, no. Let's not let's not talk about the concept. Let's talk about what Harvard was doing. Harvard was using race. You're right as a factor, but I I really believe in many cases a deciding factor. But as a factor irregardless of the background of that particular person. In other words, irregardless of whether that person had been any victim of discrimination or had, had, had felt any sense that they'd been held back in some way or had a bad experience or whatever, it was just a box that, okay, you're black. Okay, well, that we take that into consideration as well. So I'm asking you, Robert Smith's son or daughter, if he has any children, to children of a billionaire, should race be taken into consideration for their application? As part of the overall criteria, as I stated, okay. as part of the overall criteria, all things being equal, that is a qualified applicant. I think race can be okay. considered. Well, so that so you understand why that's you understand why that's racist? Because what you're saying is that the poor child whose mother is from Appalachia, who may be a meth addict, his race can't be considered. But here's the son of a, or daughter of a billionaire, and their race should, not because of any disadvantage that they've experienced, but because of some amorphous past that you refer to. Uh, it's, it's just, that's a, here, here's the problem, and I've got to take some other calls, but Bill, thank you for making the point, and look, I appreciate your, your willingness to dissent on this issue because it gives us a chance to further illuminate it. So thank you for the call. See, here's the problem, folks. The problem is that what it does is it reduces all of us to categories, not based on our individual lives or experience, but based on the color of our skin. See, and he just walked right into that, which is, yeah, you got this child of a billionaire. Oh, yes, that should be considered. Well, why? I mean, this child's had every possible advantage in life. Yeah, but they're still black. Okay, so that's so basically now. We're back to, well, America's systemically racist, and you don't have to prove that a person suffered any kind of injustice or racism in order for to, to even consider that. Just the fact that their skin color is dark means that they should be given an advantage that somebody else will not have, even though they may have vast disadvantages compared to that person. This should still be an advantage for that person who comes from a very privileged background because, after all, America's inherently racist. And see, and to me... That's that's sinful and racist against the people who are being disadvantaged as a result. 
Uh, but thank you for the call, my friend. 888-589-8840 is the number. Let's go to Scott in Mississippi. Scott, welcome. Happy Thursday, Bishop. Uh, you're not going to like this call either, man. I got some thoughts. I'm going to share as quickly as I can. Where was the gain-of-function research done? <laughs> well, we, we, the, the, what you're referring to is the Wuhan UNC, laboratory, yeah. UNC, North Carolina, okay? A 9-0 nine, a um, decision by the Supreme Court. Um, it doesn't make me a devil's advocate, but it sure makes me skeptical. And what I'm thinking is we're quick to let foreign nationals uh, from China, mainland China come into our universities, you know, uh, and we discriminate in our military. I don't know when the Supreme Court's going to rule on the way our military is doing their, their due, but I'm wondering if this ruling might not be to help more foreign nationals come into our universities and maybe be some uh, players in the uh, hands of the, of the, not the big guy, but Chairman Xi. Yeah, well, uh, listen, Scott, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Thank you for the call. If we go down that road, we're going to be a very different country than we are. It's just that plain and simple. If we go down that road, if we say, you know what, because who's next? You, you all do too well. I mean, the NBA's got a strong relationship with China. So who, who, who are the players? Who are making the money off China? We know the owners are making money, but the players are too. Who are the players? 75% of them? Black. Should we then say, well, you know what? We, we got to figure out something here. To, we can't have all these black players um, siding up to communist China. You start going down that road, it, it, it takes you to a very ugly place. Because now we say, well, you know what? There are certain groups... Depending on the circumstance, we can discriminate against we can discriminate against them because it's it's really in our best interest to look. I've called for a national security audit of these colleges and universities uh, to to determine what their relationships are uh, across the board, really, not just them to communist China. That is a very different issue than whether a student who is qualified to enter a university is allowed in or not allowed in because we don't like the racial category that that student fits. Now, by the way, I'm also not talking about people outside of America. That's, that's an entirely different matter because that goes to a national security issue, not just an issue of student performance, academic performance. So yeah, on that, in that sense, yeah, you and I are on the same page there, but when it comes to Americans, not, nah, I, as far as I'm concerned, strictly merit. Thank you for the call, my friend. Let's see. Let's go to Wanda in Louisiana. Wanda, welcome. Thank you, Bishop. I wanted to uh, thank you uh, many times for uh, the comment of uh, the children, our youth not understanding and being able to say thank you. And and, and have the manners that they should have. My granddaughter at band camp was uh, complimented by myself, her grandmother, and her parents, and she said, that's what I'm supposed to do. Uh, well, it wasn't that great. So-and-so goofed up. Well, she didn't know how to say thank you, and it should be more emphasis given on that by our youth leaders and mm -hmm. our parents at home. Amen. Uh, Wanda, just teaching... Uh, fundamental respect for other human beings. Let's face it, we don't, you know, look, nobody wants to deal with this. But a lot of these interactions 
that these black guys have with police are because they're belligerent and uncooperative. And by the way, it happens no matter what the color of the skin is. When a person is belligerent and uncooperative with, uncooperative with a cop, it doesn't end well. I mean, it's, that's just the truth of the matter. But just teaching basic respect for authority would go a long way toward, uh, toward ending a lot of this craziness that, that goes on and it all laid at the feet of race. So thank you for the call, Wanda. 888-589-8840. Let's say, oh, you know, actually, I'm going to try to get my two final callers in here. Let's go to Karen in Oklahoma. Carol, Karen, welcome. Kara, sorry, Hi. Kara. Yes, Kara, that's right. Oh, man, Bishop, I love talking to you. I just, I, I, I love listening to your station. I'm excited to be on the radio with you. Thank you, um, I wanted to talk about, my parents are, are educators in the arts. And they have their own studio, and we had a black boy when I was a kid walk into our studio that clearly had amazing talent. And so they worked with him for a number of years, but he had very little to no support at home. He was fully scholarshiped, and he, but he only had a 14 on his ACT, and they planned on, you know, the school system wanted to send him into a VOTEC track and send him into the military, and my mom said, no, this kid has got talent. So she worked really hard to, to get him into college, and so he went to a junior college nearby. You know, she, she pushed him into it to do his, to get his, you know, basics out of the way because he, he didn't have the grades to go to a university, but that's where she felt like he was going to have the strongest education. And in doing that, he, for the first time, had support. He went mm-hmm. from a 14 on his ACT to making straight A's at a university his wow. freshman year of college. Kara, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for the call, Kara. First time caller. Sorry we had to get you at the very end. Ted, sorry we couldn't get to you. Uh, But Kara, call me again. I I love that story because he had an opportunity. Did you all know that when Jewish people first came to America after World War I, they scored the lowest in IQ tests and later became the highest? Folks, we got to stand up, step up, speak up, refuse to back up. Because we cannot be defeated if we will not quit. Because we are on God's side. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.